From Wall Street to Main Street, there are stories to be told. Where knowledge learned on the street is as powerful as knowledge learned on the streets. This is the Financial Recon Podcast, where we introduce you to the people, places, and things that have helped shape our environment and will help shape yours. Welcome to the conversation. Hey everybody, this is Mike Molotaris, and welcome to the Financial Recon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. This week, we're going to talk about ants. No, not those little buggers you find in your kitchen, but active, non-transparent, exchange-traded funds. What they are, why they exist, and how they may fit into your portfolio. Helping us with that conversation is Ben Johnson, Director of Global Exchange Traded Fund Research for Morningstar. Let's begin the discussion. Ben, uh, thanks for joining the Financial Recon Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me on, Mike. I'm, I'm really excited to be here and for everything we've got teed up to, to talk about today. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of good stuff, you know, and um, like I've uh, kind of mentioned in the intro, I constantly am having to explain this with clients and so forth. They, they're just so used to hearing acronyms you know it's almost like the military there's an acronym for everything in the financial industry so i was just hoping like right out of the gate if you could just lay the basis of what's an exchange traded fund and just how that's different from a mutual fund yeah absolutely i think that the first answer i'll give you is is the most obvious and it's right there in in the acronym and you're absolutely right mike like the i think the industry does you're the average investor, a huge disservice by just throwing a lot of gobbledygook at them, right? All these different acronyms, all these different, you know, big $5 words that for most people comes across like we're speaking Klingon, like nobody, <laughs> nobody wins from that. But you know, the, the obvious answer to get back to your question, you know, what is an, an ETF, an exchange traded fund? Well, the ET gets you most of the way there. So it's a fund, but it's a fund that is traded on exchange, like a stock would. So if I want to invest in an ETF, I'm going to transact in that fund the same way I would shares of Apple or General Electric or Amazon. I'm going to pull up a a buy ticket. I'm going to tell the market how many shares I want. Uh, If I'm doing it right, I'm going to enter a limit order and tell them what price I want those at so that I can execute that trade at a price that I like. Um, but yeah, that it's as simple as that. It's, it's a fund, but unlike a mutual fund, it's a fund that trades like a stock. It trades on exchange. So that is, is the first bit of the answer. The second bit of the answer, I I think in the most important definition, I think is, is you achieved by contrasting like an ETF to a mutual fund and specifically by focusing on the way that money comes into and goes out of a mutual fund versus the way that money comes into and goes out of an ETF. So if I'm an investor in a mutual fund, I hand over my cash to that fund manager. That fund manager says, thank you for your money. You've hired us to invest this for you. We're going to put it to work in the market. So we're going to take that cash. We're going to buy stocks, bonds, what have you, uh, in a way that's consistent with whatever that strategy might be, be it an index fund, be it an active fund, you name it. When I want that money back from that manager, because I've been investing for years and I've got to take 
you know, a distribution from my retirement account, or I've got to, you know, pay bills or you know, send a kid to college, you name it. I ask for my money back. So that manager has to go back into the market and they have to sell stocks, bonds. Maybe they've got some cash on hand and they give that cash back to me. Now, what happens in that process is cash goes into the fund as cash comes out of the fund is that it creates costs that are borne not just by me, but by other investors in those funds. So you know, the costs are trading costs. So it, it costs money to make those trades when the manager's buying stuff, when they're selling stuff. There's also very important costs, costs that have nothing to do with the behavior of people who are just sitting tight and owning those funds, which are, are tax costs. So specifically, when I ask for my money back, and the manager has to sell stocks and bonds and whatever that's gone up in value, what that does is that it forces them to realize capital gains, which they then have to send out to all the investors in the fund, irrespective of whether or not they've bought or sold. And they're on the hook in that year to pay taxes if they own these in a, a taxable account um, you know, on their own. Uh, yeah, so this this cash in cash out proposition that is the mutual fund creates a lot of frictions that are ultimately kind of socialized. They're spread across all the fund holders, irrespective of what they've done. You can be sitting tight and you know be sort of a, a victim of these these negative externalities, these you know, effects of the behavior of people coming and going around you. So that's how money moves into and out of a mutual fund and in kind of the bad. Uh, of of how that all works. The ETF is different because ETFs can take money in and tend to take money in by getting just baskets of the stocks and bonds that they own from a special breed of market makers, these people that are out there that you know are, are helping people to buy and sell shares. They, they take baskets of stocks and bonds in. So they're bringing not cash into the portfolio, they're bringing stocks and bonds into the portfolio. And when investors decide they're done with those shares that they want to liquidate, they send those stocks and bonds or a sampling of them back out of the portfolio. So because this is done on what is called an in-kind basis, when money moves into and out of an ETF's portfolio, there's none of these frictions, there's none of these costs, and there's definitely, uh, for the most part, none of the tax costs that you would get in a traditional mutual fund. So ETFs tend to be much more tax efficient than uh, a traditional mutual fund. They tend to be more cost efficient too. They tend to be just generally less costly. So I, I think when you, you think about, you know, definitionally, again, to go back to where we started, first, remember the ET and, and ETF stands for exchange traded. You've got to be careful about how you go about trading those because you're not just going to get kind of the net asset value guaranteed at end of day like you would a mutual fund. And know that the key difference, in, in my opinion, is, again, how does money come into the fund? How does it go out of the fund? What I would argue is that in the case of an ETF, money moves in and out in a way that ultimately is much fairer for loyal shareholders of those funds and creates less costs, less frictions that are a result of the bad behavior of people coming and going around them. And so you mentioned with the mutual fund, obviously, there was the we're putting that money in and there's that fund manager. With the exchange exchange traded fund, there isn't, right? 
it's tracking an index uh, most of the time. Yes, it is tracking an index. But what I would stress is that in both cases, there are managers, but right. managers of index funds and, and managers of active funds have totally different objectives. Correct. So if I'm an active manager, I want to I beat the index manager. I want to do better than the market. If I'm an index portfolio manager, I just need to match the market like to the highest degree possible. So every last little you know, penny of performance really matters for me because I'm just trying to mimic whatever that index might be. And that is no small task. I you know, joke oftentimes, you know, index portfolio managers, you know, ETF portfolio managers are you know, kind of the Rodney Dangerfield of the asset management industry. They, they don't get a lot of respect, um, you know, despite the fact that they now are managing trillions of dollars and managing trillions of dollars that have you know, moved in lockstep with their objective, which is just to track the index. And it kind of segues into the next question of, we've talked about ETFs, we've talked about mutual funds, just to confuse people more now, there are things called active non-transparent ETFs, ANTS for short. Um, Can you shed a little light on what they are and um, how they've come about? I'm glad we opened on, you know, acronyms and jargon and, and what a disservice it is. And, and here we go with with another another acronym. And you know, when when people have thought about you know ETFs versus mutual funds historically, you know, they've almost thought that you know ETFs are synonymous with you know passive with with index investing, mutual funds with more so with active. But you know, the reality of the matter is like it both cases, they're just a package. They're just a way to you know, deliver an investment strategy to the end investor. And what we've seen is that at the margin, more and more active managers are, are realizing the benefits of delivering their strategies to their investors in an ETF and all of the different benefits that an ETF offers. And we've seen a, a number of actively managed ETFs come to market. Most uh, at first were focused on fixed income markets and now with the advent of, of ANTS, actively managed non-transparent ETFs, you're seeing more equity strategies come to market. And that has a lot to do with the NT and ANT, which is non-transparent. So a lot of managers of stock portfolios were hesitant to offer their strategies in traditional actively managed ETFs because those funds are required to disclose their portfolios to the market each and every day. And the last thing that many active stock pickers want to do is be the person that shows up at the poker table that's showing everybody else around the table you know, what they're holding and what they're getting on the flop. Uh, that, that's really unappealing. It, it is going to you know, right. seriously erode your, your competitive <laughs> edge. So... The SEC, after a long period of time, uh, you know, at the end of 2019, finally approved a number of different structures that roll up under the ANT umbrella that allow active portfolio managers to offer ETFs, but ETFs that don't show their portfolios to the market each and every day, that disclose their portfolios 
at the same level of detail with the same frequency, the same lag as their mutual funds do. So you've seen a number of, of these ETFs uh, launch in the past year or so. Uh, most recently and most notably now, we have the Ant version of the fabled Fidelity Magellan Fund, which was Peter Lynch's wow. former charge. Um, and you know why these are, are coming to market is because I think a lot of these managers are realizing exactly what I've described before, is that ETFs are not synonymous with passive. They're a wrapper, and a wrapper that has very important benefits for their investors. So if they're going to remain relevant, they need to participate. They need to repackage their strategies in this wrapper that tends to be more cost-efficient, more tax-efficient, more widely available. It has lower investment minimums than a traditional mutual fund. So there's so many different benefits uh, that accrue you know, to investors by you know, lifting that same strategy out of a mutual fund and putting it on an ETF chassis, be it fully transparent or be it non-transparent. So I, I know there a couple of months ago, dimensional funds, they converted uh, their mutual funds, I believe, to ETFs, right? Or they active non... I can't remember if they were active non-transparent um, ETFs or not. But I guess where I'm going with that is, do you see on the horizon more fund companies taking a step like that? Like ending the the fund side of it and becoming more of a an active non-transparent ETF? What we see, Mike, is is you know a trend towards offering more choice by these okay. different you know, asset management firms, and there are some that have have been you know, relatively late to to the party. DFA is among them. So DFA, uh, you know, for years now, is has partnered with John Hancock and has created uh, you know, as part of a sub advisory relationship with John Hancock indexes that that underpin. Uh, John Hancock DFA uh, ETFs. It launched its first wholly owned ETFs uh, last year. Um, and this came actually not long after it, its former co-CEO, Eduardo Repetto, and, and a number of his former colleagues stood up at Avantis at, at investors within the American Century umbrella and uh, launched a, a number of very DFA-like ETFs of their own. So you know, the competitive pressure was, was, was greater than ever on them to, to finally jump into the ETF pool. What they're going to do later this year is actually convert six of their tax-managed mutual funds to ETFs. So if, if you think of you know, the prospective investor for a tax-managed mutual fund, they're going to be by definition, some tax-sensitive investors. And what mm -hmm. we've seen across those funds in recent years is an example of, of what I had described earlier. We've, we've seen outflows across many of those six funds. Those outflows have, outflows have forced managers to realize taxable capital gains. Those gains mm -hmm. have been distributed to tax-sensitive shareholders, and, and they're no doubt none too pleased. So I think they'll be happy once... They can, you know, sort of convert those those tax managed mutual funds to ETFs and enjoy all the the tax benefits of of the ETF wrapper. The other notable move on this front too is uh, 
an announcement recently from Capital Group, right? So the, the firm behind uh, American Funds, which has long been kind of the most notable firm that's been standing, you know, towing the edge of the ETF pool, is going to jump in here and not too far off in, in a big way. So made a, a, a big hire, Holly, hired Holly Framstead, um, you know, a, a veteran of, of BlackRock iShares to head up its ETF effort, had filed years back to offer active non-transparent ETFs of its own. It looks like that's going to be the path it's going down. So, you know, it, it, it's not either or in, in this case. I, I think, you know, all the asset managers are trying to offer more choice, deliver their best strategies across different wrappers, because at the end of the day, you know, what works best for an investor is going to depend on that investor and the Absolutely. setting where they're in, where they're investing. So, you know, if I'm investing in an IRA or a 401k, you know, the ETF might not necessarily be a great choice for me because one of the key benefits being tax efficiency is a, a moot point in uh, a tax deferred wrapper. So, um, you know, I, I think choice is, is really the the big theme we're seeing here. And, and you're seeing that now like recognized and, and spread across you know, virtually every major asset manager. You know, you and I have had some conversations on the social media about exactly that because um, having been in, involved investing with American Century and T. Rowe Price and seeing them go through these same kind of evolutions, I have sat down and analyzed things to the point, you know, does an ant make sense over an institutional class mutual fund in that case? Like you said, like IRAs, things like that are going to be their own animal. And cost-wise, I've noticed they seem to be about the same. Is that what you're noticing? Yeah. So strictly from a fee perspective, in virtually every case, what you see is it's it's a push. If If you look at the active non-transparent ETF and the institutional share class uh, of its mutual fund predecessor. So if there are going to be benefits to the investor, it's going to be, I think, largely on the basis of access. So you might not have access to that institutional share class of the fund. Uh, whereas if you can trade on the exchange, you can buy shares in, in the ETF. Um, the investment minimums are, are going to be lower. ETFs, you, you have to uh, you know, at least be able to pony up for a single share um, in most contexts. So it, it's a, a, a lower access point uh, in many cases relative to the institutional share. And there's also just the, the question of um, transaction costs. So I know, you know many advisors I speak with, uh, you know, their preference for ETFs oftentimes has a lot to do just with uh, commissions. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of ETFs trade uh, on a commission-free basis, and in many cases, they might still be paying uh, commissions to to invest um, in in mutual funds. So that's that's another you know element that at the margin has has been tipping the scales in favor of ETFs, especially across advisors who. You know, given the number of clients they have, given the number of transactions they might be making on a regular basis in their client portfolios, those commissions rack up pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. and, and that's like the institutional class. I know a lot of 
a lot of advisors will use them in um, like qualified accounts, so forth, more managed accounts than commission based accounts. So like, like you said, the price of entry is not nearly what it could be if you were to just have a standalone one off uh, a transaction. I guess, how have investors been embracing the new products out there? Have they been favorable or what have you seen? Yeah, if if you look across uh, actively managed non-transparent ETFs specifically, it, we've seen a lukewarm reception to date. So some of the firms, I think most notably American Century, uh, have gathered assets from other portfolios within the walls of American Century. Um, Fidelity's seen some initial success, Tiro to an extent, but you've got to understand that, that the addressable market for a lot of these kind of clones of, of you know, these firms' flagship mutual funds mm-hmm. is really going to be taxable money coming from investors who already know those strategies, know those firms, and have used them well. So, you know, in, in theory, if if I own the institutional share class of you know Fidelity Magellan in a tax deferred wrapper and you have I've got to take a required minimum distribution, you know, that money goes from the cozy confines of my tax deferred IRA back out into the wild in a taxable setting. <laughs> if I don't have a use for that money, I I might go right back to Fidelity and invest in, you know, now the you know, younger sibling Magellan, the Fidelity Active right. Transparent ETF, which gives me that same strategy, uh, you know, in a much more tax-efficient vehicle. So, you know, I I don't think we're going to see you know like a, a groundswell of of demand for these products, given that at the money, like the most likely investors are going to be the ones that I've just described, and it's still very soon. And and I think most importantly has to be like taken into or put in sort of the context of you know, what has been an absolutely atrocious decade plus for actively managed equity strategies, which have seen just torrential outflows. The, the shift from you know, discretionary active equities to index equities has, has been massive. So there's there's a real like headwind that you know is is even bigger and has nothing to do with you know the vehicle. It it has to do with the fact that um, you know, active stock pickers are having a, a hard time getting a bid from from investors. Isn't it like forty percent of like all funds in the last decade have beat their indices or something around that? Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I know it's it, not a high number. It, it, it depends on the category, um, and that's something that we look at twice a year in, in our uh, Morningstar Active Passive Barometer Report, which looks at the performance of, of active funds uh, versus uh, their average indexed peers in, in their Morningstar categories. And you know, in the case of uh, you know the U.S. large blend category, it's actually much much lower than that, and that's got wow. a lot to do just with survivorship. So most most funds you know, fail to survive over the long term, uh, and it's got a lot to do with just the fact that it's it's difficult. Uh, you know, it, it, it's difficult to to be right, to be consistently right, um, and you've got to be you know 
at least right and ideally consistently right to survive over the long term is is a discretionary portfolio manager. Oh yeah, oh, what was it like? Peter Lynch said something along those lines of something like if he didn't have to sell during down markets, like he could have been exponentially higher <laughs> or something like that. You know, because of the psychology of like like you said the, that exchange that occurs on a mutual fund. Absolutely. Like, and I'm going to borrow a a term or a concept from Wes Gray at at Alpha Architect. He talks about the uh, kind of magic formula for sustainable alpha. And one component of that is is sustainable clients. So, you know, you've got to have people that are willing to invest money with you and and stick with you to to be able to survive through those, those very difficult times. Um, you know, in, in what we see is that uh, if you look through the mutual fund graveyard, most of the funds that that fail to survive, um, you know, also were were the same funds that you know are also um, you know failed to to perform, failed to do better than you know relevant index. So you know we we can't you know run a hypothetical that would say, well, if if only they hadn't been closed, would they have done better over the ensuing you know, five or, or 10 years, um, you know, but suffice it to say that, uh, you know, we as investors have, have shown a tendency to, to chase good performance and run away f- from bad performance over a long period of time. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Yeah, no, I, I, I was just kind of chuckling thinking about one of my earlier investing experiences in a global technology fund that one of these fund companies started in the height of the dot-com bubble. Needless to say, I think it lasted three years. <laughs> so, and I, I don't think I even lasted in the fun that long. I think I was out quicker than that. You know, we talked about tax efficiency, like in Magellan's instance, like people coming out of the Magellan fund in an IRA and having this money and they, they, they're comfortable with the Magellan strategy. So they would buy the ETF with that in mind, like, what was the tax efficiency? I know this is like one year, but what was the tax efficiency like for these products uh, last year in um, light of everything? Yeah, so we haven't taken a, a, a close look at that uh, just yet because we don't have annual reports out for right. uh, 2020 fiscal year for a lot of these funds. But if I could point to just kind of another example, um, that, that is illustrative. Uh, yeah, I would point towards uh, you know, what we call strategic beta ETFs. So these are, for all intents and purposes, active strategies. So they start with the index and then they try to you know, do something different, be it focusing on you know, dividend growers or momentum stocks or cheap stocks or you know, less volatile stocks, you name it. And because they don't simply just own the index, they they tend to have quite a bit of turnover because they're trying to, you know, continue to to look for you know stocks that fit whatever it is um, they're looking for in terms of those characteristics. So there's a subset of those funds that over the course of you know, the past five years have had annual portfolio turnover in excess of a hundred percent. So they've they've done a full turn in their portfolio in any given year, and what you see if if you look across you know, that group of funds is that the number of capital gains distributions they've made over the course of that five year period 
is de minimis. It, it, it's absolutely tiny. And okay. you're talking about, in some cases, funds that have had not just 100% turnover, but three or four or 500% turnover. And what that indicates is that even in you know, portfolios that have insane levels of turnover, um, there's one ETF in particular, the ticker is UTRN, um, that's a short-term reversal strategy that turns over once a week, basically, wow. um, which is just mind-bending turnover. And in, in all of these instances, what you've seen is that the ETF portfolio managers have been u- able to use that in-kind creation and redemption mechanism, again, the way that money comes into and leaves the portfolio, to, for the most part, very successfully shield their investors from from taxable capital gains. So I would imagine that you will see very similar outcomes in the case of both fully transparent active ETFs, I, I would say, which after the new ETF rule was passed are only going to get more tax efficient because they more have more flexibility about um, you know, how they, they use that creation and redemption mechanism. I think you'll see a similar level of, of uh, tax efficiency from ANTS, um, albeit potentially somewhat less so than fully transparent active ETFs because they have less flexibility about you know, which securities they can put in those baskets that are coming into and, and I think more importantly, going out of the portfolio on a given day. But the chances are compared to how, like the fund itself kicking out a 15% capital gain and then or so forth seem to be significantly less. Significantly less. And it, it's going to vary, I should stress, on a case by case basis. Right. It's going to depend Absolutely. on the strategy. Yeah, there are certain you know markets where you know in kind redemption is is not an option. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so certain markets, uh, you know, in in the emerging markets, for example, um, and there are certain uh, you know different uh, you know securities or, or derivatives, for example, that um, you know can't be lifted out of a portfolio wholesale. So like currency hedged ETFs are an example that use forward contracts to get rid of foreign currency exposure or try to help hedge away the risk uh, of that exposure. And when those get marked to gains, those gains you know, can't get just swept out. Those forwards can't get swept out in kind. Um, that's ultimately a gain that becomes taxable to investors in those funds. And you kind of lead into my uh, next question, which is around um, make you know having liquidity and being able to transact like that around fixed income do you see ants uh having more inclusion in investors portfolios compared to like a traditional bond index yeah difficult to see i i don't think there's going to be much if any uptake of the active non-transparent structure by active bond fund managers because more so than anything else they're just they're less worried about front running about tipping their hand to the okay. markets on any given day, which is why you know, even to this day, the, the preponderance of assets that are in actively managed ETFs are in actively managed fixed income ETFs. And I would argue that that's got a lot of different, there are a lot of different reasons that that explain that. I, I think one of them is just that you know, active bond fund managers have, have tended to do better than 
their benchmarks than has been the case with active stock pickers. There's just certain structural things going on in the uh, bond markets. There's certain structural issues with their benchmarks that set them up to you know, have incrementally better odds than than their stock picking counterparts have had historically. So that headwind, you know, that you see among stock pickers has actually been we've seen kind of a tailwind for for active fixed income managers and you know part of that again is because they've done better part of that is just because you know fixed income is 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 a asset class has been in demand because we've got people that are getting the people that have most of the money out there are people who are getting either into a retirement they're in retirement or they're getting closer to retirement and their portfolios at the margin are probably becoming more conservative, which means taking money out of stocks, putting them into bonds. Um, so, you know, I, the opportunity for ants, um, you know, in fixed income, I, I, I just, I frankly, I don't know there is one um, because you've seen a number of active bond fund managers, you know, get perfectly comfortable with fully transparent ETFs. Um, and, and deliver again you know, replicas of, of strategies that, in many cases, have been you know, very successful for investors over a long period of time, in a format that is fairer and more cost efficient and more widely available. Awesome. This is one of the things that struck me when I was preparing for this discussion. Was I uh, found this uh, piece that you and your team put out that morning star with the three worst ETFs last year. (laughs) (laughs) And if you could, for the listeners, if you could let them know what that was, because I still cannot believe what I'm reading here. (laughs) Yeah. So every year for the past few years, we've, we've looked back at all the different new ETFs that have, have been added to the menu and, and across our team vote for those new additions to the menu that we think are the best that right. you know might have a place in investors portfolio uh, and those that we think uh, that are the worst that they probably don't have a, a place in in any investors portfolio and you know a, a common theme amongst the the years worst over the years is is that they're funds that are designed to be sold uh, and, and not necessarily bought and, and certainly probably not owned for any reasonable period of time by most investors in, in the common theme within that theme is, is thematic ETFs. So these ETFs that are basically built around a narrative. So, you know, whatever's trending on social media, whatever you're reading about in your know, popular magazines, you know, how, how do we make an ETF for that? And, you know, one thing that was a, a trend for many of us last year was, was working from home. So um, among the the list of last year's worst ETFs, worst new ETFs were not one, not two, but three new work from home themed ETFs, <laughs> which I think just really epitomize the the trends that we've seen in the thematic fund space now for ages. I mean, this goes back to the tech bubble and, and further. Um, you know, the asset management industry is is going to capitalize. Or at least try to in in moments like these, by you know trying to you know, sell people on on these narratives and and you know what you see in all cases is is that investors should really approach this you know, with caution because you know these these themes have curb appeal no doubt but 
what you're effectively doing is akin, and I use the the analogy or an analogy from the horse track is is you're making a trifecta bet. So it's a bet that's got really long odds. It's got big payouts and requires that you get three things right. And in this case, you know, your win, your place, and your show are the themes got to be right. So this theme, be it work from home, um, you know, be it cannabis, be it blockchain, be it robotics, you name it. We've seen so many over the years. Um, it, it's got to be durable. Like there's got to be real merit there. It's got to be something that is going to make money. Uh, but it's not enough for the theme to be right. You've got to get the stocks right. So that's kind of your your place here. So I can get the theme right, but if I'm not investing in stocks that are actually positioned to capitalize on that theme, you know, I, I'm tearing up my ticket when the race is over. And then third, you know, in 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 terms of I've got win in place now, so I'm at show. Um, you you've got to get the valuations right. So even if you've got the theme right, you've got the stocks right. If you're overpaying for those stocks, your valuations are, are through the roof, then you're setting yourself up for disappointment. And what we see is that you know there there are winning tickets out there, but they tend to be few and, and far between. You know, most investors in these funds are the ones that are kind of you know, kicking up dirt and you know sort of tearing up their tickets and, and looking at the ground after the race. It's like the Seinfeld episode, my, mo- my the horse, my mother was a mother, right? Yeah, like- exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, no one the inside so, track there. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's a category where I think investors need to be really cautious because someone's trying to, to sell them something and it's not necessarily going to be something that's going to set them up for success. And frankly, by the time these themes become ETFs, like the cat's out of the bag, the, the markets realize right. that. And when you look back at the pattern of the launches of these funds, historically, they tend to be a bull market phenomenon. So it's markets like the ones that we're living through right now, where all of these funds are coming to market. It was the you know TMT bubble, the tech bubble before that, when you saw all of these internet funds you know, come to market, most of which you know have, have been you know uh, you know long long gone um, you know at this point. So you know we we call them out as the worst because there's been a repeating theme there. If you look back at our, our track record in calling out the worst, a lot of those thematic ETFs that we called out as as being among the worst the year's worst in, in years prior or no longer with us. Um, so it, it's, you know, just a, a word of warning to investors that might be, you know, kind of tuned into the siren song of some of these really compelling narratives. You know, the, the unfortunate fact of the matter, Mike, is, is that you know, for most successful long-term investing is mind-numbingly boring. Yep. Absolutely. I, I always say, if you could dream it, you can create an ETF out of it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, if you if you can meme it, I, th- this week yeah. we got people suggesting that we need a you know the a, a meme stock ETF. So, oh yes, I saw that uh, floating around as uh, as well. And having grown up right by the Meadowlands racetrack. I can appreciate the uh, trifecta <laughs> reference. Uh, I've tried to instill that in 
to my children and explain to my wife. I try to teach them probabilities when we go to the track and uh, she still hasn't bought that. So, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, Ben Johnson, director of global exchange traded fund research for Morningstar. Thanks for joining us. And where can folks follow you at? Everyone can find my team's research uh, on Morningstar's website at morningstar.com. That's kind of the, the storefront to all the great work that our global research team does, as well as all of my colleagues in, in editorial. Uh, if you're on social media, you can find me personally on Twitter uh, at MstarETFUS, uh, at Morningstar Inc. is my employer's Twitter handle. And uh, you'll find a lot of the, the great work that uh, our global group does uh, in, in that outlet. So hopefully you can find us. Uh, hopefully you're able to, to learn something from us and always excited to engage and, and help empower investors uh, to you know, make more headway along their, their journey. It's been something that I've been at for a, a while now, and it's, it's been imminently rewarding. So, Oh, thanks for coming on, Ben. You've done a great job. I've learned a ton just from uh, following your Twitter feed myself. So um, thank you for that. Thanks for joining us today. To continue the conversation, visit us at our blog, financial-recon.com. Appearances do not constitute endorsement of flagship wealth management group, LPL Financial, or any other entity discussed in this program. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor. Ben Johnson and Morningstar are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial and Flagship Wealth Management Group.